what that scene successfully conveyed to me was the nightmare of the entire situation for me because it's that it's equal parts hilarious because of how much it catches you off guard and how terrific of a dancer Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I was is. gonna say he's also he's <laughs> completely committed to it. So, oh man. Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. What's well, a casino? People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica, or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an ex. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a foul. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hello there, and welcome into another bonus episode of Film Tank. On this bonus episode, we'll be discussing the uh, new 2015 film Ex Machina, uh, directed by Alex Garland. On this episode, we'll have Nick Cheney here. Beep, 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 boop, boop. I'm a robot. Oh, you're a robot, because there are robots in Ex Machina. (laughs) Very good, yes. Yes, I put two and two together. All right. All right, all right, all right, I don't know. Matthew McConaughey <laughs> made his way into this episode, so he can be proud of that. Also, Tucson Egan here. What's up, guys? What is up, indeed, and I am Alex Diekman. Did you program her to flirt with me? If I did, would that be cheating? Wouldn't it? Caleb, what's your type? Of girl? No, of salad dressing. Yeah, of girl. Do you have a name? Yes. Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, Ava. I'm pleased to meet you, too. You feel bad for Ava? (sighs) Feel bad for yourself, man. One day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossil skeletons in the plains of Africa. An upright ape living in dust with crude language and tools, all set for extinction. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. There you go again, Mr. Quotable. There you go again. It's not my quote.
so Ex Machina, directed by Alex Garland, as I mentioned, is a science fiction drama film about a young programmer being selected to participate in a breakthrough experiment about artificial intelligence. It stars Dom Hall Gleason as Caleb, also Alicia Vikander as Ava, the artificial intelligent female in the film. And the other main character is played by Oscar Isaac, and that is the character of Nathan. We're going to be doing spoilers, so if you don't want to hear spoilers about this uh, movie, probably uh, want to listen to it later. But I think we're going to get into a pretty good discussion because we all have pretty strong opinions on this film, I think. And uh, speaking of opinions on this film, let's jump right in with Nick and uh, hear what he had to say about this movie. I... I love this film. I I think when we all saw the trailer so long ago, because they've been promoting this for a while. Yeah, this film's been done probably for at least seven or eight months now. Yeah, when we saw the trailer, I think out of all of us, I was the most excited to see this, because this is, besides the fact that this is just right up my alley, I mean, it's got, also, it's got Dom Hall Gleason and Oscar Isaac, who, the, the latter, Oscar Isaac, is just one of my favorite current actors today, because he's just fantastic. Inside Lewin um, Davis. Yeah, that's one of my all-time favorite films. But even Dom Hall Gleason, who I've liked in the little stuff that he's done, well, little films, not little roles, because he, I thought he was actually a good part of the movie uh, Frank, which, yeah. which wasn't perfect or anything. But even also in uh, Richard Curtis's uh, romantic comedy About Time, like he kind of surprised me. So as far as the cast goes, I was all in. And then when I saw the trailer, um, and this just literally builds itself as this cerebral thriller that was almost like a one-act play as far as like it's just people in a room talking for the most part well that is a good way to get you on board exactly so it was one of those things where i was so on board the minute i saw the trailer then as time because it took forever for this to get released mm-hmm. i almost started to doubt that it would be like as good as i thought it could be so i i don't know if it was my expectations or something got lowered or something like my defenses lowered but we just saw this film yesterday but I, I absolutely loved it. It surprised me in ways that I didn't think possible, considering I had read quite a bit about the film and I saw a lot of promotional materials and such. But I think at the end of the day, the thing I'm coming back to is that this is such a beautiful film, like a great sci-fi film, that asks so many interesting questions, but actually doesn't have its characters asking those questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there are... These are, like, the two main characters played by Isaac and uh, Gleason. They're programmers, and they're they're literally, obviously, trying to solve this problem. So they are talking about some of these themes. But there is so much that is actually unsaid that still comes through in the script that I just found f- uh, just absolutely fascinating. The idea that this entire film is centered around this kind of, this uh, I don't know if I want to call it, like, cinematic depiction of the Alan Turing test was just... It just absolutely floored me, and yet that's all it is. It really is just people talking in a room. And I think what it comes back to as far as what I love most about it was that I thought it was way more restrained than it was than I thought it could have been. Because mm-hmm. maybe because I thought like, you know, it's gonna get a pretty wide release. So I thought maybe because it was gonna get to so many theaters eventually that something about this was going to seem a little rote or like, you know, just kind of shoehorned and mainstream, especially like in a third act or something like that. But no, like I, when I went and saw this, I was so surprised by how just wonderfully mute and quiet it was, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that it's such a talky film. There's so many great scenes when there is way more being communicated uh, visually than there is audio, you know, wise. Like, yeah, we kind of discussed that right after we saw the film, which is pretty natural to do. Yeah. You can't really go on just leaving, especially a movie like this, 
which uh, is definitely something that I don't think anyone can go out of just thinking, oh, you kind of be indifferent. I feel like you have to have opinion one way or the other. And we discussed the uh, the first real sit-down after the first session as this film is set with these sessions between the character of Caleb and Ava. After the first session, Caleb and Nathan are sitting down having their first discussion about how the session went, what Caleb thinks about it. There is so much um, Oscar Isaac, so so much of Oscar Isaac's nonverbal communication as you bring up in that scene is just so great. And that's why... For me, and I'm agreeing with you all 100%, he's actually my favorite actor at this point right now because he is so good at bringing great line deliveries to the screen, but at the same time being a great showing actor. Yeah, I. it's funny. I want to watch this film again already, which is the first time I would say this year <laughs> mm-hmm. that I've had that experience with the movie, besides Furious 7, but that's mostly just because, like, you know... The spectacle else, of it. Yeah, where else are you going to get that shit? <laughs> but um, this is the first film where I, I want to watch again, not because it's, like, particularly crazy, because I will say it... While there is like a third act twist and whatnot, it's all pretty organic and logical. And the reason why I want to see this movie again is because once I know how this entire film plays out, and I know everybody's motivation yes. and agendas. That's I want to appreciate the performances even more with that context in mind. Like you were saying, with like Oscar Isaac's like you know like facial uh, reactions and whatnot. Like now that I know exactly where he stands within this thing, like I think that'll make it even better and. You know, I'll be able to appreciate those performances even more. At the end of the day, um, this is one of those films that, like, like I called, like it is, like I called it a cerebral thriller. And on its like surface, it might some people might not consider it a thriller, which I could totally understand. I kind of think it is for me though, because it's like a thriller in the same way that like a chess match is thrilling. Like it's a, you, it's a thriller the same way that the first hour and 15 minutes of The Shining is a thriller. Yes, like, it's it's all psychological. So, of course, if you're not on this movie's wavelength, you're not going to find it thrilling or whatever. But as for someone who loves very heavy sci-fi concepts, because I genuinely don't love sci-fi as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't go for the big, like, like I'm sorry uh, to our listeners, but, like, Star Wars or just anything that's just, like, sci-fi and that's it. Like, I like sci-fi when it's, like, primer or, mm-hmm. um, like, a, the little co- uh, indie movie of last year called Coherence. You where- want the, the cerebral, more small-scale, high-concept sci-fi, whereas, like, Star Wars and Star Trek are more in line with right. space operas. Exactly. And those are not, like, bad films or anything no. like that, but they're just not what I want to get out of a movie so when a movie like this comes along which i feel like there's always like one a year that just completely lays out these amazingly heady sci-fi ideas but i will say this compared to like a movie like coherent it's surprisingly (laughs) coherent because (laughs) i will say this like we saw it uh yesterday it was a sunday afternoon and our theater was pretty packed actually like i was surprised that that many i'll say this like middle-aged people showed up for this kind of a film i'll say and I think it's a testament to how good this film is at conveying its ideas and drama that I was literally hearing, like, um, you know, somebody, like, over 60 telling his wife, like, oh, you were right, when, <laughs> like, 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 when a certain twist was revealed, because that's just how engrossing it is, and yet how simple it conveys its big and complex ideas. <laughs> so I could go on for hours, and maybe I will, but uh, we can definitely pass it on. Alrighty, well, Tucson, let's uh, let's hear from you. Uh, what did what did you think about this movie as a whole? This is a 
I just want to preface this. Like, the reason why we went to go see this film is that because it was got, getting so much, like, awesome, enthusive praise. And I know how, all too well, how over-enthusive praise can be the death knell of a great film. Well, and it was getting this praise all the way back in November of 2014. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was the worst part about, like, going to see this film. It, like I said earlier, it took so long to get released that, like, all my hope would dash before I saw the film. Exactly. Which I, That's which I guess was a great thing. Yeah. Um... I will say this about the film. It's not a game changer. It's not going to be a paradigm shift in how we look at uh, AI in, in different types of science fiction films, but rather it is just a good AI film, which I feel like... <laughs> we haven't had that. We, we, we haven't had that. Chappie wasn't good? We I mean, it's up there. I didn't, but, I didn't uh, want to say its name, but you had to say it. Well, anyway. Well, it, it, we talked about it on the show, and it was... Pretty recent as this, yeah. Came, yeah. As, as Ex Machina comes came out only a month or two after, so yeah. The 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 dynamic between uh, the characters of Caleb and Nathan and Ava was just so strong. It's such a a a strong, tight knit, intellectually dense film. Like just going off of what Nick was saying before, like I felt like I had to see this film a second time in order to really give credence to the questions that were not posed to other characters, but rather they were posed to me as, as, a, as a moviegoer. And I enjoyed that experience of being able to engage with a film on that level and that it made me question myself in, in, in the situation and as, a, as a, a bridge of empathy to, to Caleb. So, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I think this film, like, like you just said, uh, but we've been saying like it it does ask questions of its audience without having its character asked because when like Oscar Isaac and Dom um, uh, Hall Gleason's characters are having a conversation and he asks something uh, he asks Dom Hall Gleason's character I'm always gonna forget their names I guess maybe someone should tell me uh, Caleb and Nathan Caleb and Nathan there we go so when Caleb and Nathan are having their conversation uh, after the very first session actually uh, or maybe it's the second one and. Mm-hmm. When Nathan basically asks him point blank, like, how do you feel about Ava? And you kind of understand what he's insinuating. No analytical shit. Just yeah. tell me how you feel about her. Like, it's, like that's the kind of question that the movie's already asking the audience, even though it's not, like, making that, like, point blank. So when, when we get to certain scenes of, like, questioning whether, like, Dom Hall Gleason's character is reasonably attracted to this, you know, AI robot, like... I, I can't believe that you could be sitting in that audience and not just wondering about yourself and like what you would feel in that situation because it makes you uncomfortable in a way that I feel like you would recognize as human because you I at least when I watched it, I, I'm watching that going like you know, like, okay, this is a movie and yet I'm watching this and I, I would I be attracted to her? Because I feel like I... <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like, I would, and yet, of course, like Dom Hall Gleason, I wouldn't want to, like, fall for some kind of trap or something like that. So that's why there's this wonderful psychological tension that it's like a mind game that Nathan and Caleb are playing, and yet there's also another mind game happening between the film script and the audience itself. What is interesting about this film uh, is that the artificial intelligence that... Oscar Isaac is trying to create. It's interesting because it, you can't really get the motives of his character, Nathan, fully grasped, at least from one viewing I wasn't able to. Yeah. He is a character as Nathan. It seems like he's almost trying to create someone who he feels is on the same level as him in terms of intelligence. But he's, just below. I, I don't know. See, I think that's kind of part of how he's made this film is he created this labyrinth in this house of pretty much 
the character who he's creating, which in, in this case is Ava, mm. and we get to know that he has been creating more versions of versions. <laughs> well, they are. <laughs> well, versions. that is a Freudian slip for sure. <laughs> yes, that that is. We'll get into the uh, the interesting that all of Nathan's creations are female, okay. but all of the versions of uh, the Ava 1.0, 1.5, 2.0, and finally he's gotten to the point where he's created self awareness with the artificial intelligent being that is Ava and uh, she is able to use all of the not human abilities but being able to put a thought process together for how to get out of a situation that she is in which is another thing about this movie that I feel like is so interesting because even though it definitely is a science fiction and I guess you would even call it a thriller even it is though it is a lot more of a a conversational film rather than a, rather than a by the book thriller right mm-hmm. This film, I feel like, does so many different things on so many different levels. This film in the first act is way more funny than I ever thought it was going yes, to be. It's hilarious. And there is a terrific, out-of-nowhere dance scene involving Oscar Isaac. He just soaks up this entire oh my movie. God. But I, I want to quickly mention that dancing just a little more, just because I was completely caught off guard by it, and it was wonderful. That so. is going to yeah. be, like, if we somehow do some kind of, like, top scenes of the year yeah. at the end of the year, that'll easily be in my top five or something, <laughs> Yeah. What that scene successfully conveyed to me was the nightmare of the entire situation for me because it's that it's equal parts hilarious because of how much it catches you off guard and how terrific of a dancer Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I was is. gonna say he's also he's <laughs> completely committed to it. So oh, man, and uh, but also it's so weirdly it's almost Lynchian and like it shouldn't be in this movie, but it is, and that's what makes it scary. And it it also comes right at the time when. Uh, uh, Caleb's character is starting to kind of realize some of the more nefarious aspects at play here as far as, uh, as far as like what Nathan is trying to do and what maybe he's manipulating him. So to, like that is the most blindsided you could ever be <laughs> is if you have Oscar Isaac starting a dance party in the middle of, uh, in the middle of this realization. But going back to what you were just saying earlier about how this movie is doing so many different things. I agree with that. And I think that's one of the greatest things about this movie is that it does these different things so well that if you were to strip any one of these individual parts from the movie, you still have a pretty engaging movie. I mean, they all add up to be the whole and the sum of the parts that it is, and that's that's what makes it great. However, like pretend this movie wasn't about AI or something like that. The relationship between Caleb and Nathan, like just them talking and like them, I would watch an entire movie of just those characters hanging out for a week as far as like the drama that comes out of that and yet also the comedy that does as well. Or like if you just only make this about the AI Turing test kind of thing, because it's about more than that too. It's like all of these individual parts are just as, I would say, fascinating as like the whole movie itself. This could have easily been a slice-of-life buddy film. Yeah, because <laughs> I was totally on board with uh, Oscar Isaac's performance as yeah. uh, as Nathan. Like, There's something to what he's doing here that like, goes far, I would say, above and beyond the normal indie, cerebral, like, sci-fi film where you normally you, you call somebody and they, they totally deliver what whatever you're looking for. Whereas like he created a whole character around this like character that was written on the page. I want to say that I do think there is a little more, and I, I'm, I'm not having this as an original thought because I had seen this theory yeah. brought around. Uh, and this is actually interesting because we discussed another science fiction film that deals with artificial intelligence uh, a few weeks ago in Prometheus. Yes. And there is a line where Oscar Isaac says something about 
Promethean. He mm-hmm. has almost a That's right. mention to it, and it, it was brought up by somebody that there are, are some more parallels than he would think about between the Titan Prometheus and Nathan's character. The most obvious being that Prometheus is, is pretty much his liver was pecked out pretty much every day. Then. Yes. And Oscar Isaac in this film, for better or for worse, it is a bit of a plot device, but he is a excessive alcoholic throughout mm-hmm. this film, yes. which is another character trait that is just one more thing added to his character that already is extremely interesting. And then you add in, and that's another thing because another avenue this film has is it delves into art as it mentions Jackson Pollock. And there's an entire scene, which yep. almost had like a Tarantino feel is like, here's this, Here's this right turn into this five-minute discussion about Jackson Pollock. And I feel like he feels as himself as a creator first, but also as an artist. Like He is creating life, and he is putting his brush to the canvas. Going back to your um, your, your roping in with, with Prometheus, I'm, I'm, th- there's that, that early... Um, interaction between Nathan and Caleb, right? Where Caleb is saying, "Is like you're not talking about when they're talking about AI." It's like you're not talking about the history of man. You're talking about the history of gods. And yeah. then you have like Nathan, who's totally aggrandizing himself, is like, "You're not a human. You're a god." And it's like, and it, in roping that back with with Prometheus, like Prometheus himself wasn't he wasn't a god. He he was a titan. And the gods like totally like shut his shit down and had his liver pecked out. Yeah, like so. It's what happens in this movie. Yeah, because it's, it's his own creation. Of course, now we're gonna get into spoilers. I think. Yeah, but yeah, um, like that's one of the other great things about this script is that this is a you know it's almost like a retelling of like Frankenstein like for, for the modern age because mm-hmm. we're we're no longer interested in monsters but we are interested in this artificial intelligence kind of fetish we have as a society mm-hmm. and so what's great is that Nathan is such a smart individual and I mean this like in so many different ways because both like he he does, he's not the stereotypical like quote-unquote nerd or something that like maybe a lot of other films would have gone down the road because he's not afraid to He's both self-aware. Of, he's very self-assured, <laughs> which he has to be because he has to program self-awareness. Like, and that's a, that's why it's an important character trait for him to have. But yet, he also is this very like he ex- he's almost like if you're you can think alignment like I want to say with him because for example, I guess here's a good way to explain this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just like a throwaway joke, but it also shows his like mental process when he's uh, when he's drunk and on the couch when um, Caleb breaks into kind of his room to use the phone and he startles him or whatever yeah. and he's like, who are you going to call? And <laughs> Caleb's character is like fumbling uh... to try to figure out an answer and then finally Nathan's just like um, Ghostbusters. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like that's all he was looking for. So it's kind of like he's both this weird tortured artist but he's also not as larger than life that he thinks he is because he's just a very lonely soul. Well, and that's another thing about Nathan's character is that he doesn't even necessarily, I already brought up the shining ones during this, but he does kind of a little bit remind me of Jack Nicholson's character in that because I feel like we don't know how long he's actually been at this research facility. He could have been there for seven, eight years by himself and he's creating these artificial intelligent beings but at the end of the day, they are not the same as having real human interaction, especially where they're in just a test phase. Right. So he does not interact with people, and it's uh, it's it's kind of the opposite of what Matt Damon. Oh, I guess. Well, let's skip that. But <laughs> he's going to Interstellar, which <laughs> I probably probably, that's where you were probably going not a good idea to bring that up if that's people okay. haven't seen whatever. 
but it yeah it was just um he's just a such an interesting character and it's amazing too because Oscar Isaac is absolutely a supporting character in this film but uh and even though I did did really enjoy Tom Hoggleese and I thought especially with his American accent yeah that was and, great and his performance as the leading actor in this film was great but I wanted more and more time with Oscar Isaac as this film went on we've been we've mentioned a couple of literary and and other movie references in this, like The Shining. We've talked about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but mm-hmm. the thing that stuck out to me the most was like the whole dynamic between Caleb and Nathan and Ava, especially with one scene in particular, reminded me of The Tempest. I don't know if you guys know like the story of The Tempest. I'm going to try and just sum yeah. this up as, <laughs> as as succinctly as possible. Mm-hmm. There's Prospero. He has a daughter named Miranda. And there's this monster on on the island named Caliban and stuff, right? Now, Miranda has never known another man other than this monster who obviously she's not attracted to at all and her own father, right? And then like uh, through serendipitous events, Prospero is able to strand his brother and his brother's son, Alonzo, or, or something, onto the island. And Miranda starts, like, being attracted to, to Alonzo. And there's a scene in, in Ex Machina that reminds me exactly of that, where um, Nathan is talking to Caleb and saying, "Is like, well, yeah, of course she's attracted to you. She's, she doesn't, she's never known anybody else other than me. Yeah. It's like, I'm practically your father. So, yeah. yeah. And also when it gets to like uh, what we were talking about earlier, how about this movie is about so many different things, but it also doesn't try to push any one theme too predominantly. So that way none of them kind of like, I would say like, like Prometheus or something like it doesn't try to reach for something grander than just asking all these little questions. For example, there's a great conversation between Nathan and Caleb when they're talking about like how they're programmed to uh, whether like it be to like, Nature versus nurture, basically. Yeah. They're having that debate. And um, what I love is that this film kind of comes down on the side of neither. Like, it goes, like, it's... it's Oscar Isaac's character, uh, Nathan, kind of succinctly explains that, like, of course you're programmed by birth, or not programmed by birth, but of course you're programmed to like certain things and to not like others. So, like, you know, like, when it comes down to, like, because they're having the conversation about like heterosexuality versus like something else like homosexuality, and because Donald Gleason's character, he's a very insecure man, mm-hmm. he's kind of shy and whatnot. So of course he's like literally trying to uh, profess what he is, and he's like, "Well, no, I'm a I'm a heterosexual, and I I didn't choose to be that. I was born that way." And then he's like, "Well, no, did you did you grow up? Where did anybody ever tell you that you were a heterosexual?" It's like, no, it's like or not, no, but it was the opposite. I, I thought yes. it was the opposite where he was he or. You Oscar Isaac was saying you were yeah, programmed, I, whether it was by nature or nurture. Yeah, yes. But that's the thing is that he was saying that it wasn't so much that you were neither born with it and yet you were neither – because you were born to be predisposed to your environmental conditions. Like mm-hmm. I think that's what he's trying to say, that it is a mixture of both. And so it's, it's something like that that like you could – base an entire film around a nature versus nurture debate, yeah. you know, and it could be a good film or whatever. Shit, and that's yet, an entire paper on gender right there. Yeah, and so, but, like, this film can successfully convey a, I would say, a coherent and profound theme like that within a four-minute scene that's also masked by a hilarious throwaway joke when he says, uh, what's your type? I and mean, then he's like, what, in women? And he's like, no, in, in salad dressing. Yes, in women. You know, like, <laughs> it, it, never, <laughs> it never takes itself so seriously, and yet it's still d- deeply profound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we haven't really talked too much about Ava so far, who is yes. 
the main point of this film. She's the main person on all the promotional posters, and you hear a lot of her dialogue in the trailers. It's interesting because I feel like when it comes to artificial intelligence, it's almost, as I mentioned to you guys before we started recording this, it's almost become its own genre at this point where there are science fiction, artificial intelligence films, and there are a a ton of them out there now. So oversaturated at this point. And even like great films, like uh, we had Her in 2013, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is a great film, but... Ultimately, that film wasn't about artificial intelligence. It's it was about human relationships. Right, it's more... So it's kind of like, this was the first, I would say, pure film about artificial intelligence and about, yes, so many other things, but this is... It's about that, and it actually somehow, I don't know, got it right because it's such a abstract concept that I it would have been so easy for this thing to fail. But, like, you were just bringing up uh, Ava, and yeah. I'm going to ask you now because I forget, but what is her name in real life, uh, the actress? Uh, her, the actress's name is Alicia Vikander. Okay, so I also, I got to say right now is that I feel like she'll be a very underappreciated part about this movie going forward, just in the future or whatever, but even if Oscar Isaac, I would say, is like a scene stealer and probably the best part about this movie... I feel like what she's doing is even more complex because I truly kind of got chills in some of the scenes. Like this was like the uh, the antithesis of what uh, Michael Fassbender is doing uh, in uh, Prometheus, which mm-hmm. is he was playing an android that looks like a human being, whereas she was playing obviously like an an artificially intelligent being mm-hmm. in almost a robotic kind of body, and. There were just like there were so many moments of uncanny valley where I wasn't sure what I was looking at because her performance was so good that I genuinely was like Dom Hall Gleason character trying to figure out if there were flaws in her quote unquote system. Yeah, one thing I want to want to raise about Ava, like just detracting just from her behavior, but just from the actual design of Ava, like the visual production design. Like I love the design of of this robot. My my favorite part about it was the electronic hum that exerted off of her her torso. It was like I think it really captured a sound that everybody has heard, but it's almost undescribable. It's the the humming white noise of cicadas in the middle of the summer. It was just like it, 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 it was really really cool. Yeah. Well, and another thing about her character is that her appearance is really only her face that she gives off her facial mm-hmm. features. And I feel like the the and not that this would have been the same way in any other films, but I feel like the face is so important for humans to have contact. We have and we, we talked about earlier with Oscar Isaac giving off these nonverbal cues just from the movements he's making with his eyes or his mouth or shriveling his nose or whatever. But I feel like it's interesting because so much gets into this film and it, and it actually ties it in really well with uh, the the information that we gather from the internet, whether it be from Google or in this film, it's from blue book, which is called, which is basically Google in this yeah. film. And that's pretty much Oscar Isaac's company. And he runs, runs the biggest search engine in the world. And I feel like that's something that Tucson mentioned yesterday, which I'm not going to steal it from you, but I'm going to kind of lead in yeah. back into you talking about it. Steal it. Oh, well, yeah. Well, whatever. We're, we're all together on this. I, right? um, his it, sense was like search engines don't, teach you what people are looking for like that's one surface way way you can look at it you can always try to aggregate that but search engines like teach you how people think because there's there's this whole like the the theory of of neuroplasticity in that with the advent of search engines and other types of like 
digital repositories of information that the fact that our brains are changing for the fact that we're auto-correcting and Mm -hmm. trying to find a way to phrase our requests in different ways in order to interact with the system in order to retrieve um, these new results of more specificity, like our brains are changing in such a way that we don't have to allocate so much space just for this minutiae information, but rather we are also relying on these external drives of, of memory, such as the internet. Well, and Oscar Isaac's character, Nathan, uses that exact method, what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's how he creates a lot of what goes into his artificial intelligence creation. I think that's why, getting back to Ava and her face and being a prominent feature, that the face in today's world is just as important, if not way more important than it has been forever, because we see people's faces, whether it be seen pictures online or anything like that faces have become like the new like id because mm-hmm. like obviously as far as like and that's funny because on the id badges that both nathan yes. and caleb have mm-hmm. their faces are on their right. id badges it's in the nothing movie. yeah it's not it's not more technical than that because like obviously you know like we have a lot of science fiction stuff that likes to do like retinal scans and mm-hmm. uh fingerprinting and whatnot but this is literally like it's it's almost acknowledging that in today's modern world, like if you go to like on Facebook or whatnot, you'll literally, if you click on a picture, you'll, you'll see white boxes around people's faces because they can just this website alone mm-hmm. can pinpoint where somebody's face ends and begins in a picture. And will ask you like, who is this? And, you know, ask you for that kind of, and, and it also knows who that is. Also. Yeah. That's the other thing is that it'll usually guess who it is. Like you just, yeah. So it, it, it is scarily uh, prescient. In with, this with, society. with Ava's, design i think that it it speaks volumes going back to just identifying people by their faces because why are faces so important because they reveal not only the things that we're trying to say but the things that we're not trying to say the fact that ava is intelligent enough of an ai and of of an artificial being that she is able to confidently intuate and and read nonverbal cues like that that should almost pass the turing test yeah like she, on its own. And you, you find that out actually pretty early in the film. Yeah. She is a lie detector and she is always yes. right no matter what your yeah. you think your line, she knows yep. every single thing. How did you know that? It's like by the, the posture of your of, of your, your your face and your eyes dilating. It's like, whoa. And I, I feel like another thing, Nick, you talked about wanting to see this movie again and I am right there with you. I feel like that is a benefit of seeing this film for a second time is there are so many small scenes where you see Ava going off and just looking out the window or drawing a picture or whatever. I feel like it's not quite like a fight club change after the twist at the end of the film, but I feel like you'll view those scenes differently the second time through. I love her drawing style too. I, I, I love her drawing style because it's so different than what has almost become standard for the fact of, uh, of, iRobot where you just like scan it but rather you never see her actually draw these things but it's like these this weird tessellating like network of of triangles that kind of like like cohesify into like either a tree or a face or or just a a net in itself we spent a lot of time talking about the characters and that's great because the characters really are what makes this movie although the script is great and a lot of the decisions made by Alex Garland, because he was both the writer and the director of this film, are, are much more withholding than revealing, which is great. However, the final act of this film does have 
it doesn't have a one big fight club twist in it, no. but it has multiple small little sort of wrinkles yeah. that you get throughout the final 15 to 20 minutes of this film. I want to get your guys' take on the uh, the ending of this film and kind of the message that this film has, because I feel like the message, although nothing groundbreaking that I, I mean, it's nothing I haven't thought of before or heard of before, but at the same time, I feel like it totally makes sense for what this film was. Yeah, I thought the this last like the, the last third of the movie was fantastic. And the reason why I think that is because like you just said, it's nothing I would say groundbreaking or something I've never heard before. However, it's weirdly contemplative about the message that it is sending because okay, if uh Nathan um you know, he created this being and he created a few other beings as well. So the like what I told you guys yesterday when we were having our big conversation was that one of the things I loved about the ending was that the whole movie kind of sets itself up, even if it that's almost like a smoke screen, but the whole movie sets itself up to be like a cinematic Turing test, right? Mm-hmm. And what's great about that is that that's that's also Osc- uh, Nathan's uh, fatal flaw, because what he doesn't realize is that if he creates an artificial uh, intelligent being that's sure, like, that can completely pass off as... Um, humans and mm-hmm. whatnot, then he will both pass the test and yet that'll lead to his own downfall because then he will have created a, a person that he can no longer control, which is something he very much, I think, likes because we see some of uh, his interactions with some of the other, uh, the past iterations. Of, we, we can say they don't really go that well. No, they don't go that well, but he's also kind of, he uses them for his own advantages. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, we even see it in the character he actually currently still has too in his compound, the uh, Kyoko. Kyoko. Kyoko uh, character. Who which is, is created for a much different purpose than Ava was. Yes, she was literally created to be a kind of subservient uh, like almost secretary slash uh, sex bot sex bot yes <laughs> um, and so kind of like and it shows you like the value he places on these you know quote unquote beams so it's kind of like if he's truly going to pass the Turing test then he's also going to have to accept something that he's never willing to accept which is that they have a consciousness and that therefore they deserve to live their own life, which is something he doesn't obviously want. So I kind of like that. I brought it up earlier and I'm kind of starting to see it even more and more, but that Mary Shelley Frankenstein parallel Mm -hmm. to this without it being overt. It's not like this is purely like a Frankenstein monster movie or anything like that. So I was all on board with this, uh, with the third act. And I especially liked how elegant it was too. I mean, when Ava's character comes up, uh, to Nathan and basically decides to destroy her master and creator. It's, I read so many reviews before we saw this that mm-hmm. was calling it a slasher film. No. Like, or not that it was a slasher film, but that it turns into a slasher film and whatnot. And okay, yes, there is a knife at one point, and that is like, that's where the comparison starts and ends. Because when it actually comes to that moment where they're like they they're face to face or whatever it is so re- like i said earlier restrained and muted that the most dispassionate yeah. case of murder i've ever <laughs> seen on screen well and another thing is too because you know we see someone stabbing someone in any other you you can't just like stab them you you have to like give an effort to it you yeah. get the knife through their body mm-hmm. and she being a robot her mechanical arms move differently than humans do so she's able to do just a slow quick stab right mm-hmm. very fluid right into the chest and it's it's 
it was honestly captivating for me. And what's yeah. great about that is that that comes after the because that's the second time he gets stabbed, right? Because mm-hmm. first it's Kyoko that stabs him, which I love because it and it's almost like a little metaphor for like I was talking earlier about his fatal flaw. Because mm-hmm. first Kyoko does the kind of the same thing where she stabs him in the back. So obviously that's something that he's not himself conscious of as far as like he you know he didn't quote unquote see it coming. Just like he didn't see the idea that if he created fully sentient beings that they would obviously revolt and whatnot. And then when Ava basically like takes it out, or does she, I can't remember, does she take it out or does she have her own? I want to say she, that Oscar Isaacs finds a way to take it out, okay, doesn't he? Yeah, he takes it out, but he then... backs up into Kyoko when, when, when he's dragging Ava... And and Kyoko is standing right behind him. I don't know if she steps forward, That's but right. like she, like he right. becomes his own down. Well, I, I don't but remember exactly knife, how it happened, but yeah. But the knife literally and visually moves from his back to his front, and I think that that's actually a pretty beautiful and elegant metaphor for how you know something he was not conscious of all of a sudden became very real because of course he was going to die or mm-hmm. be wound you know very badly hurt after he got stabbed in the back but the idea that it literally switches sides to his front and now he's just he's just faced with this you know bleeding torso that he can no longer like deny it's just and he walks away like you know three or four steps but please don't fall forward please don't (laughs) fall forward that's the only way this could be worse please don't let the knife go through him just just fall down on your side another interesting part of that ending and that's goes back to watching this movie for a second time is that she traps Dom Hall Gleason in the office of mm. Oscar Isaac's character Nathan, and he is, in all likelihood, going to die, die in there, starve yeah. to death because that's the that's the whole setup of this movie. Which yeah. is also another great part of this is that the setup. I didn't even necessarily know that it was going to happen the way it was going to happen. With mm. the only certain key cards can open other things. Yeah. And even Dom Hall Gleason changing the code, because he's a coder, yeah. uh, of it. So nobody's key can open anything, really, other than the one that Ava ended up having. But I feel like that's such an interesting statement about the end of the film, where Ava needed to kill Nathan to escape from this. But she almost... And it's funny, because she you see her having such a great relationship with Nathan. But at the end of the day, she was using him so much that she almost... She almost looked down upon him as she trapped him in there, almost saying that's a bigger message than taking pity almost on killing Nathan, yeah. where she is trapping him for a much a much worse death, I not would even, say. Not even a second thought, but going back to the interaction between Caleb and Ava, like you clued in on it before, uh, Nick, when we were talking about the, the larger themes outside of just AI, when Caleb and Ava are talking to one another. And they're going for that whole battery of questions. Like I'm finding myself asking myself these questions and Ava's asking him, what happens if I fail your test? And I was like, I don't know. Ava's like, it's not up to me. And it's like, why is it up to anyone? It's like, that speaks not only just as a create the created to the creator, but also for the simple fact that all the humans are, are male and all the, yes. the robots are females. Like that speaks also to the, to the note of, a woman asserting her own autonomy over her own body and her own life. So. Yeah, that was the other thing is that this movie definitely has some stuff to say. I want to like I want to say about gender, mm-hmm. like you're just pointing out now, is that like you just pointed out that yes, all of Nathan's creations are females, and um, there is something sick about that because it seems that apparently that's the like 
if you if you were to take it as like a hierarchical type thing, he has like, to exert power over something. So exactly. So yeah. apparently, he doesn't conceive the idea that a man exerts power over a man. Apparently, it's just completely. It's like he talks about in the film to Nathan uh, that is evolution. That apparently only he can only exert power over women, and I wonder. And I also, because that's the other reason why I want to see this movie another time, is that because mm-hmm. I really want to unpack some of these themes. But it could almost be seen as like that's how he. That's the only way he could really truly perceive like creating these kind of beings because he doesn't want to admit to himself, who is a male, that he's just no different than like any female or any artificial being that he would essentially create or whatever. So I just thought that was interesting. Like he kept them by creating them female. He's almost keeping them at a distance just by doing that mm-hmm. while also of course being able to use them for his own uh, kind of sinister purposes. Deeply like, sexist in trying in making Kyoko like not being able to talk. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing. She's not able to speak. So she is it, it, a slave at the very root of the word. Yeah. All right, guys, let's uh, move on to ratings, as I think we've done a pretty nice job. I just want to mention one more thing okay. before I get into like ratings or anything like that, because I don't normally want to talk about this when it comes to a film, but I will say this is one of the first films in recent memory where I was very, very entranced by the film's set. Mm-hmm. Like Much like you brought up The Shining earlier, um, this set, like I love this mix of like kind of art deco, spatial mm-hmm. you know, stuff, yet with like... Like Apple's sleekness, or yeah, whatever. contemporary Apple sleekness. I would totally live in a place like that if it wasn't for the fact that it was underground, and I would be trapped in there as a mummified corpse. Yeah, I forever. Mean, this, is, this is one of those movies where, like, after I saw it, I wish I, there would be a sequel. Not literally, because I don't <laughs> want there to be a sequel. <laughs> yeah. But like, I want to see every room of this compound, you know, because I just thought it was so well done and so well realized. And I, this that was just such a little detail. But I just wanted to really quickly praise the set because I thought the production design was fantastic. I'm um, right. They're with you, man. So let's uh, go right from that into your rating and uh, final thoughts on Ex Machina. Yeah. So overall, if you haven't guessed already, I <laughs> I loved it. Um, this is easily the best film of the year I've seen so far for me. Um, I give it four and a half out of five. And I, what I keep coming back to is that it it asks these profound questions, and yet it also none of it feels forced. One of the greatest things is that when it asks like what makes somebody like. It, it literally it has its characters asking over and over what makes somebody like have or what makes a being have artificial intelligence like what does that consist of and yet by having those characters ask that question you're essentially asking your audience what makes somebody a human being mm-hmm. and what I loved about the script and these performances were just all the little parallels like I love Dom Hall Gleason's character constantly quoting uh, all these famous writers and whatnot which he Mr. literally just Mr. Quotable yeah he, Mr. Quotable he sounds like a search engine himself well and that uh, don't want to go too far off of what you're <laughs> having your final thought but that was something that I was concerned about when I first saw the trailer because I put a lot of stock into trailers which is sometimes um, a bad thing but I was concerned that uh, he was going to end up being an artificial intelligent being that was basically he's testing if he's going to figure out if he's a robot or not. And I love that this film is able to not only not trick the audience, because I feel like you have to actually not be sure as an audience member until the point when you find out that he is, in fact, for sure a human. Yeah. But I think the audience is thinking that, and Dom Hall Gleason's character of Caleb is thinking that as well. It's only really an hour into this movie, and I feel like it does such a great job, Ex Machina does, of 
creating this amazing like uncertainty among the character and the audience too. Yeah, almost, to- almost something to where I, I, I don't want to bring, we're bringing up a lot of movies, which is kind of cool because yeah. it, it, not that it is directly like it, but a film like the matrix where you, you question you, reality. Well, you question reality and you, you don't think anything different, but maybe there is something out there that is different that you just wouldn't have ever thought of. And that's something that Caleb ends up thinking in that one scene, which is a, a definitely going to be a memorable scene from this film where he is cutting his arm open. He's yeah. punching the mirror. There's blood. Yeah. It's, it's really something. And uh, it's, it's, it's very much a interesting look at someone who actually begins to question whether or not they are a real human being. Many red herrings, very smart red herrings. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, no, the script is fantastic. If you'll indulge me for a really quick 30 second detour, <laughs> I want to plug something because this is what I was, reminded most because we're bringing up other movies and such and whatnot what i was reminded most uh when i was watching ex machina so if you like ex machina um this past year because i in case uh anybody doesn't know this i'm a bit of a tv fan i love television and Mm -hmm. the all the various shows whatever if it's your favorite i've probably seen it and Mm. whatnot (laughs) so to expand my horizons even more this past year i tried to look for some foreign language television shows which is the first time i've ever tried to do that because i mean obviously films is so easy to get foreign language films but like television that's actually pretty hard to come by um Anyway, the show I actually responded to the most out of the several that I sampled was this Swedish show called, uh, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, (laughs) but let's do it anyway, called Atka Monaster, um, which translates to real humans. Um, And there's going to be a remake, of course, because Americans love to do that. So if you see a show... I forget which channel. I don't know if it's sci-fi or something, but if it's called Real Humans because they're taking the American title, then that's what this is based off of. But this is that's exactly what that show is about as far as, like, it's about uh, autonomy and artificial intelligent uh, beings coexisting. And it's almost like this that show takes place where Ex Machina leaves off mm-hmm. because it's, uh, as we know from seeing the movie, we see uh, Ava entering society for what's essentially... What I love about that ending is that that's the true start of her Turing test, is whether mm-hmm. she'll actually be able to coexist. So I just have to plug this because there are so many similarities as far as these characters and whatnot that, like you said, this is nothing original or whatever, and there are other good properties, but because there's been such such shitty AI films and uh, other stuff out there that I have to say, but besides Ex Machina, if you want something good and... It's kind of hard to track down, and I won't endorse illegal ways, but there are ways to get the show. Mm, yeah. uh, look for the Swedish show, Real Humans. Sorry, I just really quickly wanted to get that out. That's fine. Uh, but overall, when it comes to Ex Machina, I, I absolutely loved it. I thought the script was fantastic. These performances were literally amazing, like Oscar Isaac and all that. And I just I can't wait to see it again, which is uh, it's the first time. I mean, we're already in... April and I, I have not felt that all year, which is kind of amazing. So yeah. I'm glad it came along and did that for me. Excellent. Let's uh, let's get to sounds rating. All right. So this entire film is a is a Turing test, not only between Caleb and Ava, but the film itself and for the audience. At least mm-hmm. that's what I felt because coming into this with the knowledge of the previous tropes of artificial intelligence films and knowing that they're would likely be a big twist. I was constantly ping-ponging between two different propositions, whether or not Oscar Isaac's character, Nathan, or... was his name? 
Caleb? Caleb's, uh, either, either Nathan or Caleb was going to end up being a robot. I thought that I had to test whether or not this person was human enough in order to pass for a human versus being being a robot, and it turns out neither of them were. That neither of them were a robot. They were both humans, very fallible humans. Which is almost proof positive of how Ava so wonderfully passes the Turing test. Yeah. That you, it's, she's like a smoke screen because then you start looking at the other characters, thinking, well, if yeah. she's, not, you know, like could they be a robot? So I agree. I, I was already entering from the 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 default the the default uh, position of knowing that Ava was a robot, but I was so like entranced by her performance and by her inquisitiveness and her responsiveness to Caleb that she totally like got off the table when it came to me actually like looking at these characters. And I think that she totally like passed that in that, that regard. Um, as regards the ending, I still don't know how to feel about it. It's, it's, I don't. I don't know if I'm supposed to be cheering for Ava or if I'm supposed to be absolutely terrified of her, for the simple fact that she she is exerting her own autonomy and her own sense of sovereignty, and that she has she has her users, her creators have outlived their purpose in in being her shepherd and being her teachers. And now she is going out there and she's going to be teaching herself, and the fact that she leaves Caleb to die in 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 the actual compound she it, it it was very much like the ending of saw one which is kind of yeah, funny so, but it's, it's very no. he, she's leaving him in a tomb basically to die yeah but yep. but there's no there's no judgment on her part it's just completely like nathan was right in the end like yep. like she was using caleb in order to get out and the fact that she was able to kill nathan so dispassionately and able to leave like Caleb to his death so dispassionately it is man I, f- I feel bad for humanity we're <laughs> fucked oh god um, I would have to give this film uh, echoing Nick's sentiment I'm going to give a four and a half out of five very high praise from both of you guys and I'll have to keep on the hype train here I think so um, I really absolutely love this film I, going into it I had my doubts uh, as to how I'd feel about it. Sci-fi is a, it's not, a, I would say a difficult genre for me, but I feel like I love so many things about it, but there are so many stereotypes and tropes about the sci-fi genre that mm-hmm. I'm just good without. And I feel like this film pretty much brought everything to the table that I genuinely have grown to love about film, whether it be the characters or the script, or the setting, or even the cinematography, which was beautiful in this film. And it just I feel like there are so many things that are below the surface for this film that are messages throughout it from the filmmaker to the audience. And it's just beautiful. It's been one scene that I always go back to is when they are climbing because they're in this weird mountain, hilly area wherever they are and there's by a waterfall yeah there's a huge waterfall there's grass and uh it's yeah there's like every single ecosystem available because you see like glaciers at one point yeah that's a little weird but that's okay i survey i'll I'll go with it added to the surrealism of the whole thing Mm -hmm. which i liked and we just see a shot and this is just the very beginning of it and nathan is kind of on this plateaued part of this hill just surveying the area and we see caleb 
slowly but surely making his way up to there. And as soon as he gets to that same place where Nathan is, Nathan turns around and immediately goes up higher right away. And I feel like that's a perfect description of how Nathan views the rest of humanity as himself is when they catch up, I'll just go another level higher. And I I feel like the characters are so well-defined in this movie, even though we don't really get to know much about them, even though there is that question, and it's a very interesting question posed by Caleb and then back shot back at to him by Ava, where, well, why don't you tell me something and you can decide what to do with it. And I, I, you know, I'm leaving it open-ended and she shoots it back at him. It's a very interesting part of this film of, uh, free will and making one's own decision. And that's especially goes into uh, going back to Jackson Pollock and the reference that is made of him making the decision, even though he was a very much a, um, you know, out of the box kind of deciding to make all these lines that he still made the decision to make each one of those lines, even though he wasn't going towards an ultimate goal. He was trying to end up wherever he ended up, but he was still deciding every single one of those. And it gets into that thing of free will and predisposition and all of these themes under the surface of this film. is just so great. And there's so much to chew on and so much to unpack as you like to say, Nick. And um, I just can't really say that many, too many, that many, I can't say enough. Let's just put it that way. I can't say enough great things about this film at the same time. I can't give it a perfect rating because I feel like at the end of the day, this film doesn't really bring anything new, I would say, to the table. But I feel like it it, it does such a great job of using something that has already kind of broached this idea and repackaging it and making it so much better than anything I really could have expected from this film. In this day and age, originality is something that like only 1% of movies are ever going to actually achieve so this is a perfect example of you don't have to do something new you just have to do something well yeah and that's all it takes and i think this is a great example of that and kudos to alex garland who again i'm sure will be getting a a uh, a, another chance uh and he will probably be getting some more money than he had uh for this film and more of an opportunity with a, a bigger cast perhaps which that's one of those things where maybe this is something that he should stick with. Uh, yeah. These these small, I mean, yeah. you get to learn so much about these characters without even learning that much about them. And it was a shot so well, and just they let the the actors act in this film, and they did a great job. So I uh, actually going to do a little switcheroo because I a few weeks ago gave Furious Seven a perfect score, and I'm going to drop Ooh. that. Whoa. To a four and a half okay. from a five, and I'm going to give this the same score for a much different reason than Fury Seven of four and a half, and I'm, I'm doing that because I like this film more than Furious Seven. Uh, I feel like there's so much more to Woman, this film. I am the robot. <laughs> uh, you're good for at least one of those an episode, and you uh, you lived up, even though we're kind of late in the game. But there's so much about this film, and I I really find it hard to believe that this film will fall fall out of my top five or top seven this year. It was, it was just a great film and it will be great to rewatch probably multiple times. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for listening to our episode on Ex Machina. We mm-hmm. all had very high praise for it. We, we have an average score of four and a half out of five out of, from three different people with usually three very different opinions. Uh, a lot of high praise. Uh, this film probably isn't for everybody, but um, you know, Kenny was the only person who's usually on our shows who wasn't here. I think Kenny would enjoy this movie. So that not only that, and I agree that it's not for everybody. But like I just mentioned earlier in the podcast, like we saw a lot of different 
types, uh, people, ages range, you know, from wherever to wherever. And I feel like this is so good at what it's doing that I would give it a chance. Like, you might not like it, but it it is so well at conveying these ideas that it doesn't feel like a chore to sit through. Like, some other, even movies that I love, like Primer or something, mm-hmm. would feel like. So I, I would say, even if you don't think you'd like it, try it. Absolutely. And yeah. a lot of the conversation in, in Ex Machina is so organic that yeah. it almost feels like there is no... Out of the out of like unnecessary exposition throughout this mm-hmm. film, and I'm sure there was. Oh, there's a lot because that's all that they're ever talking about, and yet it like yeah, it's completely organic because that's exactly what they would talk about. So, uh, yeah, high praise, and uh, all of us loved Ex Machina. If you'd like to uh, send us a review of Ex Machina or your thoughts on it, especially if you liked it as we did, or if the things you didn't like about it, we'd love to hear from you yep. and we could talk about it on another episode. So yep. send that on to filmtankshow at gmail.com. Also find our other episodes, uh, either on our website, filmtankshow.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And also you can find us on uh, the social media sites as uh, social media did have a little bit of a part in this film as was brought up a couple times. Blue book. Yeah, well, don't go to Blue Book because I don't know if that'll work. But you can find us uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Film Tank Show. From Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan, I am Alex Steakman. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we will catch you next time. 